we're so blessed. We have so many things to be thankful for. We have a beautiful place to live. We have a beautiful church. Wonderful people. Lord, we pray for our pastor, Mark, as he goes to a new area. Pray for Carol. Pray that we can unite together <coughs> the betterment of our our church and our surroundings, Lord. Speaking, Lord, of uniting, pray for our, our country and our world and that we may unite together, Father, and somehow bring about peace. Pray for our president. Pray for our military who protects us, Lord, gives us a better life. And our police protects us, Father. Lord, just pray for the schools and, and our children, Lord, and, and just that we somehow find the right way to protect them. And always in harm's way, Lord. Lord, just thank you, Father, for just so many blessings. We pray for for you to use us as, as vessels, Father, to, to go out and, and spread your word and let people know who we are, that we are Christians and we worship you, Lord, and we pray that we can bring others in to, to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. person um, and it's a great connector of people 
um, pretty much the whole two days. I just saw him connecting people that he thought needed to know each other. Uh, but one of the things he did was he he uh, partnered uh, the healthcare folks around here with and got a number of really helpful people from uh, a program at Duke University uh, called <coughs> Theology, uh, Medicine, and Culture Program. And um, they were part of the, the summit. Uh, so Duke sent a whole lot of people over here to, to partner with this region to think through what can we do about this crisis, which as you know, uh, it, this part of the state is just ravaged. Um, and not just ours, but the whole southern Appalachian region, all of Appalachia, really. Um, and I won't um, trouble you this morning with uh, a lot of what I learned, which is a lot of what you already know, but I do hope we'll come back to this um, and talk about it. Um, and this was not a two-day thing. Um, this was intended to be the beginning uh, because there, there's grant money. Um, They've already um, commissioned people to write material for congregations uh, in this area about how they can be involved. And there's, there's so many ways that you can be involved. Yeah, you might think, well, I'm not a health professional. I don't know anything about uh, opioid addiction. I don't know what I could do. You would be surprised, um, I hope pleasantly surprised, to find out what you can do. Uh, small things that would make a difference. So uh, this is going to be an ongoing conversation, an ongoing issue. Unfortunately, the problem is probably going to get worse before it gets better. I hate to say that. Um, some of you know that, uh, I mean, just to say one thing, a lot of you know about uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome uh, in children. Uh, Tennessee has uh, 10 times the rate of children being born um, addicted to, to drugs. And uh, two and two thirds of those cases are at our end of the state. Okay? So it's our most of it's happening here. And a lot of you know that when they 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 built a they had to build a whole new area at the children's hospital just to deal with this. Um, and so yeah it's it's really sobering. And so um, there's just so many things that are going on, and so um, there'll be follow-up, and there's a lot going to be happening, so I hope you'll keep your ears open, and I'm sure we'll come back and talk about it sometime, because again, it's a very practical way. Last week, we, we raised it because we were in the Beatitudes, and we were talking about peacemaking, shalom-making, what's that look like? Um, well, one of the ways you think about where can I be involved in peacemaking is paying attention to where's the brokenness. And that's at least one very concrete place in our region where there is immense brokenness. And the, the church, um, one of the things that was powerful about the two days was uh, how many of healthcare people and people in the corrections uh, area said, uh, we, we can't, this is not just a medical problem, it's not just a law enforcement problem, it's not just a judicial problem. Um, if, if congregations aren't part of this, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, so they're, they're desperate for partnership because um, they know they can't do it on their own. And so I hope that Muncie will uh, do its part um, in this region. And as I say, there'll be more information forthcoming, but I just wanted you to know that it was a powerful two days, sobering two days, but also a deeply hopeful two days. 
Uh, there's a lot of really, really good things going on here. A lot of really good people already doing things. We heard some powerful stories from people who are in recovery um, who, who had the courage to, to tell their stories and they were deeply moving. And, and they're witness to what people in this area are doing uh, to help rescue them from this kind of bondage. And so, um, so stay, stay tuned. I just wanted you to know about that. Second thing, um, just sort of covering general announcements. Um, haven't done this for a while. Um, next Sunday morning, about this time, um, I'll be flying to Africa. So I'm going to be in Kenya again. Uh, some of you know I travel to Kenya and do some teaching there and uh, do, do a lot of learning there. Uh, I learn a lot when I go to Kenya. Um, it's my fourth or fifth time. I'm losing track. I think that's not because I've been so many times. I'm just, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> you understand this. Um, yeah. And I know, you can, and you always tell me it just gets worse, so I know that too. Um, yeah, I'll be there for, for just a little under a month. Um, so I'll miss you. I'll be grateful for your prayers. Judy has an amazing lineup um, for the next four weeks, so I won't be here to teach, but you will be in very good hands. Um, and so that's all, uh, of course, Judy's in charge, and so you're in, it's all planned out, right? Um, everybody's in place, it's all good. So it's a wonderful thing about this class, is things just like, like a machine, just uh, keeps, on, keeps on going. So but I did want you to know, I will miss you, and I'd be grateful for your, your prayers. Um, some of you remember last time I went, um, I was in the hospital for a couple days with uh, blood clot issues, but I got my, you know, lovely support hose now, and uh, plan on wearing shorts, so I can make, make, sort of make a fashion statement, and um, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to anybody. <laughs> I have other ways to humiliate myself about that. Will you promise to get up and walk around? Yes, I have worked hard. Um, I think I'm still working with the airlines. I have got aisle seats. Uh, I have two eight-hour flights. Um, but uh, both ways, eight hours, uh, the long flights to Europe and then to Africa. Uh, but I have aisle seats, all except for one of those, and I'm still working with the airlines to get that so I can get up. Um, and move around, so. I just tell the aisle one, say, hey, I gotta get up. Yeah. <laughs> they don't like that. Yeah, that, that was my problem last time. I actually had my good colleague, Kip, who's across the, the way to Mandel. He was sitting next to me on an AR flight last time. He was asleep, and I, I, had, I, should, I should have just woken him up. Yes. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, I thought of you on my trip to the Philippines last fall, and I thought, I've got to get up and move around. I've got to get up and move around. And I did. I didn't sleep, but I sure moved around. Yeah, well, I'm going to try to do the right things this time. So, all right. Well, we promised you that we would finish up the Beatitudes today. So we are going to try to do that. And we've made uh, a kind of argument all along, along with the church uh, for a very long time, that the... A couple of things. One, that the Beatitudes are not just sort of random pearls of wisdom 
uh, from Jesus uh, about uh, how to live life, nothing like that, that, that Jesus is announcing something about who is it who is it that's in a position to to see and receive this new world that's breaking in that Jesus calls the kingdom? I mean, who's, who's in a position to see that? Uh, who's in a position to receive it, to be part of it, to bear witness to it? And this very upside-down kingdom um, Jesus sort of announces in these rather arresting ways. Um, it's people, and we've also said it's a kind of ladder. They're not just randomly placed here either. But the church has always said that there's a certain kind of progression to them. Uh, that the first four have to do uh, with our emptiness. Uh, that the poor in spirit are those who know that they come before God with with empty hands uh, and longing to be to be filled, uh, that we're we're uh, that the those who are blessed are those who who mourn, uh, who mourn uh, the state of the world. I mean, if you didn't weep this week, um, your heart is cold. Let me just say that. Um, there was a lot going on in the world this week that just made you want to weep. Um, and weep for the brokenness of the world, weep for our own brokenness. Um, yeah, that we see the world through tears of uh, those who mourn. Uh, and the poor in spirit are those who, who mourn. Um, the meek. Right, those who are meek, those who who are humble, those who don't uh, devote uh, most of their energy, as we are tempted to do, uh, justifying ourselves to ourselves and to other people, um, but who are humble and and meek in the world, and that kind of emptiness uh, leads to this hunger for for righteousness and justice. Uh, which we reminded ourselves was about right relationship with God and other people, um, that we hunger and thirst for that. And then the, the second four, and we talk about this hunger and, and thirst and this emptiness that we long to have filled have to do with uh, well, what is it that God offers uh, to fill us with and the first is, you know, blessed are the merciful, for they shall. Uh, so so we, re we recognize that we're the ones who have been the abundant uh, recipients of God's mercy and therefore tend to be channels of God's mercy uh, to the world. And we're the, the blessed are the pure in heart, the ones who single-mindedly are about what God is about, uh, who, who will this one thing, this, this God's desire for wholeness and shalom, which is mercy and peacemaking, shalom making, the next one, right? That we are called to be makers of peace, instruments of God, 
uh, to bring wholeness and healing. And and all of that's, you know, there's a lot that's uh, powerful about that, and there's a lot that, um, I don't know, we've talked occasionally here about, you know, so we try to say that what Jesus is, is offering here is not something that you just want to cross-stitch and put up in your kitchen. Um, as if this is just sort of pearls of wisdom from Jesus. Uh, it's really about seeing the kingdom. And if you had any doubts about that, uh, when you get to, what, it's either the eighth and or ninth, depending on how you count, uh, it's pretty clear that Jesus is not just giving us some sort of sentimental uh, versions about how to get on in the world. Uh, because as we'll see today, um, in this kind of progression, Jesus is, is really reminding us that if you know, the people who are blessed in this way um, will also be blessed in another way, and this is a kind of blessing uh, that you may not want. So let's read verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or justice's sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember the first one, right? The poor in spirit, theirs was the kingdom of heaven also. Right? Jesus goes on, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus, I mean, and then it takes this turn, doesn't it? I mean, all, all before Jesus, it makes it sound as though you know, Jesus is talking about like somebody out there. Uh, but then when Jesus goes on, it says, blessed are you. Right? It's the first time that Jesus uses the second person here. It's not like you could be talking about anybody out there. But here Jesus said, blessed are you when people revile you. So Jesus seems to be reminding his hearers, his disciples, you know, you are going to be the ones who are persecuted. I'm not talking about somebody else out there. Um, it doesn't. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you should be persecuted, you know, if it should happen. Um, but Jesus seems to say, "Blessed are you when people revile you. Right. When it happens, rejoice and be glad, because guess what." Uh, you're going to be standing in a very long line of folks. Um, and Jesus mentions the prophets. Um, they, you know, we don't know, just take the Old Testament prophets, we don't know what happened to a lot of them, but there's a lot of tradition in the Jewish rabbinic literature. Uh, for example, um, when the book of Hebrews that we'll come to later in, in chapter 11 talks about what happened to the people of God, um, talks about those who were saw, you know, sawn in two, right? 
And, and the legend is, I mean, and the tradition is, that's what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Okay. Uh, sawn in two by a wooden saw. Sawed in two, yeah. Uh, stoned to death, the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, and again, the rabbinic tradition is that's what happened to the prophet Jeremiah, carried off into Egypt and stoned to death. So the Jewish people weren't all that kind to their prophets, right? Because they they brought the word of God. They, they brought a message, sometimes a message of comfort, but often a message of challenge, uh, a message of conviction. Um, and lest we be you know, too quick to condemn the Jewish people. I mean, if you look inside your own heart, if I look inside my own heart, um, I, I have to confess I have not always been uh, welcoming to, uh, to words of God of conviction uh, when when God speaks to us uh, through God's word and tells us uh, helps us see things that, about ourselves that we may not want to see uh, I haven't always said oh thank you Thank you. I'm so grateful to see that blind spot of mine. Uh, I haven't, and maybe you haven't either. And so, but Jesus seems to say, "Look, I mean, this, this is what's going to happen." And you might think that sounds so crazy. Why would? You know, I mean, if you're Jesus, seems to say, if you're people of mercy, if you're single-minded about God's work of shalom and you're working peace, I mean, why would? I mean, who would be opposed to people's wholeness? Well, you don't have to go very long in the early church's history. I mean, if you read the book of Acts, um, where the apostles are um, healing people, casting out demons, um, it really upset people. Uh, why? Because actually from a very long time people have made a good living off other people's brokenness um, and so when when the people of God work for God's wholeness um, you might be surprised that not everyone wants everybody's wholeness um, I was reminded at the opioid crisis. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not in a position to know. Um, but there, there looks like there's some evidence that, you know, uh, some people um, have made a lot of money off of people being addicted to opioids. Okay? Um, a lot of money and and they they knew at least some of them knew what they were doing and so that's that's frightening right um, 
most of you know, we, we have the highest percentage of our population of any country in the world in the prison system. We also are one of the few places in the world that have for-profit prisons. There are people who have a financial stake in our prisons being full, right? So whether you know that or not, I mean, not everybody wants wholeness. There's a lot of money to be made in brokenness. And here, here it gets a little more personal because I don't know, I mean, um, we don't think of ourselves in this room as maybe addicted to opioids, but that's part of the that's part of the issue too. A lot of the people who are abusing opioids look just like you and me, right? They're not just the people who live under the bridge. Okay, that's a huge, huge misunderstanding. But quite apart from that, um, I mean, just think about think about what makes our economy run. Um, I mean, our whole consumer culture is based on dissatisfaction with our lives. Our whole consumer culture is based on, and it makes, it makes for a powerful economy, right? And this is one of the most you know, bedeviling things to even think about what wholeness would be. But every day, we are inundated with things that says, if you just buy this, you can fill that hole inside of you where you feel empty. Right? For a huge part. Right? Um, most of you know, like 65 to 70% of our economy is consumer dollars. And this is, um, and of course, yes, it keeps people employed, but again, doing what? <laughs> right? A lot, in a lot of cases, making things that none of us really need, but that we hope, and somebody hopes, will somehow fill the emptiness inside of us. So it's not just people in prison, it's not just people addicted to opioids who are in bondage. And a lot of people have something at stake in people in bondage. So when you read those stories in Acts, and there's more than one, where the apostles are releasing people from their bondage, whether it's idolatry or whether it's demon possession, and people aren't happy about it, and the apostles begin to be persecuted for bringing wholeness to people, uh, don't think that's just 2,000 years ago. Because if we really are engaged in the work of wholeness, not everyone will be happy about it. And Jesus is just trying to say, be prepared. And this is really interesting. We're talking about the ladder. This is the top of the ladder. When you think about ascending, most of us don't think, oh, wow, when I get to the top of the ladder, it's persecution. It's persecution. And it's not just any kind of persecution. And I want to be clear about this because, again, this is a delicate issue to talk about. But I, I want to talk about it because... Again, I'm going to be gone for a month, so I can say something, really. Uh, I can upset you, and maybe after a month, you'll, skip, you'll be happy to see me again. Um, when Jesus talks about, I mean, there's lots of kind of suffering and persecution that might happen. I mean, I might be, <clears throat> I might be persecuted, or I might be 
um, ostracized. I might get in trouble because I'm just foolhardy. I say stupid stuff, right? Even if I think I'm well-meaning, right? Um, it might also be the case um, that I'm being persecuted for all kinds of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, notice Jesus says you've been persecuted uh, for my sake, right? It's about, it's about staying close to Jesus and living the way of Jesus. That's what it's going to be. And so I feel like I have to say, you know, there, there are some Christians, uh, not presuming anyone in this room, but there are some Christians in our day today who, again, if I wanted to say it really sharply, I would say have a persecution complex. Uh, and really what they're put out about is that Christians no longer have a privileged position in American culture. And we've lost that privilege that we've had for so long. And that's what they're upset about and they're feeling like victimized about. But guess what? We were never promised that. Jesus didn't say, you be my follower, you'll have a privileged position in society. I mean, for the first 300 years, I mean, the church and the Christians, I mean, it was, they were persecuted. Right? I mean, to be a Christian meant giving your loyalty to Jesus rather than the Roman emperor. And that was a problem. That was a problem. I mean, you know about the, uh, the ways in which so many early Christians met early deaths because they were martyred. Right? Be simply because they, they were not accepted. And they were just accepted, but because it was so clear their loyalty was to God first and not to Caesar. So all that's to say, you know, not to say that there haven't been good things that have come from that, um, not to say that it should have been otherwise, but we are in a different era now. Uh, Christian people do not have necessarily a privileged place, although argument could be made that we still actually do have a lot of privileges. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about feeling victimized because your, your privilege has been lost in American culture. That's not the kind of persecution. Jesus is talking about when you follow the way of Jesus and when you are a person of mercy and you are single-mindedly about what God is about and being a peacemaker, working shalom, people's wholeness, that 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 will likely get you into trouble. At least you should be prepared for it. It may not always get you in trouble, but you should be prepared that not everyone will be pleased that this is the case. And yet, Jesus says, you are blessed if this is to be this. And I was reminded of you know, the passage early in Acts where Peter and the apostles are, are told time and again to stop talking about this Jesus guy. And the authorities don't seem to be able to shut them up. And so really they're sort of beside themselves. They don't know what to do. And so they end up flogging them and telling them, you know, 
the implication is there'll be more of this if you don't get in line. And what do they do? They take their flogging and they go out and rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for the name. Right? So Jesus says, you know, rejoice and be glad. I mean, and so the early church actually did this. It wasn't just a theory. They did. That they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Um, I can't quite, I have to be honest, I can't quite get my head around that. Because um, even though we know there are people around the world, even this morning, who are quite literally suffering for the name of Jesus, most of us, most of the time, don't suffer much, if at all, for following the way of Jesus. And there could be lots of reasons for that. My, part of the reason might be that I don't really follow the way of Jesus so nearly. I might follow Jesus at a very safe distance. And, and so that might be part of it. Right? Not that we... I mean, Jesus is not saying that we have to desire persecution. Um, I mean, the early church was very clear. You couldn't, you couldn't want to be martyred. That was an important thing when the early church found itself in that position. The question was, well, could you want to be martyred? The answer was clearly no, you couldn't. You couldn't seek martyrdom. Um, but you had to be prepared for it. Right? You had to be willing, but you didn't seek it out. That was an important distinction. Right? So we're, we're prepared. We're not naive. Jesus doesn't want us to be naive. I mean, you can read these Beatitudes, and again, they just... You know, they, can, they just sound so lovely. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, you can kind of say them in hushed tones, right, until you get to this last one. And all of a sudden, it gets really real. Not least because Jesus, again, addresses us in the second person. Right? doesn't just talk about those people out there, the peacemakers, the poor in spirit, the merciful. It's like, you, you, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. Part of this, of course, is not just following, I mean, even though Jesus mentions that, you know, if, if you follow close to me, that you'll be, you know, you'll just end up in this long line of prophets people who are speaking a word of God to the world that the world needs to hear. Not just speaking it, but living it. Right? Living this word. Um, that people will revive you, but that clearly uh, Jesus also thinks that if you, and Jesus says this, right? I mean, if you follow the way of Jesus, that you, you should not be surprised if you find yourself having to, what does he say? Take up your cross. Um, and we've talked about that before in here, um, and we, but we can't say it too often um, because we just have, I mean, we, we have made the cross a beautiful thing, and it is a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, the Orthodox Church uh, calls the cross the holy and life-giving cross, which is shocking. 
you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves. Um, it was the most horrible instrument of torture the world had known to that point. It wasn't outlawed until for about 300 years later in the Roman Empire. It, it was that form of torture and execution that was not just meant to kill you, but to shame and humiliate you, to remind you you were nothing. And it was, it was saved for those partly of low social economic class, those who were in rebellion against Rome, um, but again, to be stripped naked and to be hung on a cross where you died a slow and excruciating death. Um, that's our symbol, right? We don't have little empty tombs around our necks, right? I don't make the sign of the empty tomb over my body. There are days when I wish we Protestants would make the sign of the cross. It's a powerful reminder that my, my life should be marked by the cross. And I should be remembering every day that following the way of Jesus will, will involve dying to myself. And sometimes, not just metaphorical ways. If we had time, you could do this. This is the wonderful thing about teaching adults. And I mean real adults, not like 22-year-old adults. <laughs> I mean, do this sometime this week. Just take 10 minutes and, and go back through those beatitudes that we've been looking at closely for the last seven weeks. And think about how... <coughs> How every one of them is in, is in some way a kind of dying to self. All of them requires and demonstrate a kind of dying to self. And so it's not all that surprising, again this is a kind of ladder, it's not all that surprising that when you get to the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus is here talking about persecution that the way of Jesus really is the way of the cross. And certainly there, there's resurrection at the end of that. Right? That's as Jesus' promise. Right? Your reward will be great in heaven, Jesus says. Um, and that's, that's part of what gives us the courage, it probably gave the apostles the courage to do what they did. Because they knew the authorities ultimately had no power over them. When, when the best, when the best that the powers of this world can do is threaten you with death, and death has already been defeated by death, as the ancient Christian tradition says, then the powers of this world have no power over you, ultimately. Have no power over me. Which is why, that's, that's what you have to have, understand to understand the martyrs. 
And I was reminded this week that, you know, in the liturgical calendar, the Beatitudes is read. Okay, it's the gospel lesson for All Saints Day. Okay. Uh, which is that day of the year when we remember, among others, but primarily the martyrs of the church. The martyrs of the church. And I've thought about that a lot, uh, but I'm not sure I made that connection um, until the shower this morning. My shower thought. I thought, I don't, I'm not sure I saw the appropriateness of, of that. Uh, because it's easy to read the Beatitudes and be fixated on the first seven. But when you get to the last one, you realize there's a reason. If you understand it as a kind of ladder, a kind of progression, there's a kind of deep appropriateness that for generations the church has insisted that we read the Beatitudes on this day when we honor those who have given their life for following the way of Jesus. hard to know what that will look like in each of our lives. Most of us will not be martyred in the way in which some have been. And I was thinking about the passage from Hebrews that we alluded to. I mean, listen, to, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. You know, this is, this is the passage that comes right before, you know, this is where you wish we didn't have chapter divisions. Right, chapter 12, where it begins with, therefore, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are these great cloud of witnesses? Well, here's part of who they are. They were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better direction. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Right? This is part of the great cloud of witnesses. Um, I mean, the word martyr just means witness. Right? Witnessing to Jesus and the way of Jesus and what God, and bearing witness to what God uh, once in the world. So we're called to this kind of blessedness. And we're called to rejoice. Uh, that'll be the hard part, I think. Um, what's it mean to rejoice that we have been called to be part of this cloud of witnesses who are willing, if need be, um, to suffer persecution for the name, uh, to be involved in the work of God in the world, um, to be shalom makers, right? people who work for people's wholeness, realizing that at least in some cases, not everyone will be happy about that. Um, but we have to be about what God's about. And we have to bear witness to this kingdom that's coming that Jesus is telling us 
And who is it that's going to be able to see this kingdom? Well, partly those who are persecuted on his account. Let's pray. On this Pentecost Sunday, O oh God, we give you thanks that you have empowered your church with your spirit, making it possible for them to do things that would not be possible by human strength. That entails following the way of Jesus, uh, even if it might bring persecution upon us. We pray for those brothers and sisters around the world, even this day, for whom naming the name of Christ and following the way of Jesus comes at great cost. We pray your spirit continue to empower them and give them courage. And we pray for courage in our day that we would not simply follow Jesus from a safe distance but that we would follow in his footsteps, follow in his shadow, follow in his way, uh, not naively, uh, but knowing that it might, in some cases, call us to suffer for the name of Jesus. We give you thanks and pray that you might make it possible for us to rejoice, to be found worthy of suffering for the name. And it's in the name of that Jesus, who by your spirit we seek to follow, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Phil. We will miss you. Uh, and to let all of you know, it's sort of like the previews, um, I'm not sure exact order yet, uh, but boys, Barry will